to Leader Fables, a podcast where two lifelong friends and totally obsessed business nerds discuss all things leadership. I'm your host, Casey Clark, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Jacob Evans, who now basically lives on a houseboat in the middle of Lake Powell. Is that where you're joining us oh, from man, today, Oh, man, I'd love to be joining you from a houseboat in the middle of Lake Powell. Uh, that's where I'm, I, I came from last week, which was awesome. Yeah. So it's good to be back. It's good to be back in the land of internet and 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 air conditioning. It's great. Was there no internet or air conditioning? Well, there was, but I really tried hard not to use the internet. And you know, I there was air conditioning, Casey. (laughs) Okay, I was like pass, hard pass on your uh, thing. You could put an office in. You were like on a like a three story luxury cruise basically. Well, I don't know right? about that, but it, it, it was nice. Uh, we had a great time. It was really beautiful. The water table's nice and high this year. So, uh, yeah, nice. we, we had a wonderful time. Good food, good, 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 uh, good times with family. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was really nice, really relaxing. I got, I got through a few books and that's always nice to do on vacation, at least for me. I know that might not be your cup of tea, Casey, but when I go on vacation, I read. No, I do too. One of my very first things when we go on, you know, there's different kinds of vacations, but if it's a rest vacation, I'll call it versus an explore vacation. Very first thing we do is find a bookstore. And it's like the only time I don't read on my Kindle, I actually get a paper book, you know, to be totally offline. And uh, I think that's very relaxing. That's awesome. And you today are on location. I mean, I I only mentioned that to say you're very committed to the podcast and that, that of course warms my heart very much. Yes, I am in the beautiful city of orlando nice. uh though it's it's been really good i'm at a, a coaching convention uh with with a bunch of coaches that keep trying to coach me whenever you talk to them they try to enter into a whole coaching thing and you're, i'm like don't coach me you, you don't have my permission to coach me just back off you know so so this i, I might be a little sensitive in this <laughs> uh, podcast if if you try to coach me at all i, I might just yell at you so i'll, I'll be very it, careful not to try to coach you We'll see how it goes, though. No promises, exactly. Casey. I can't promise anything. Yes, please. Well, I'm really excited because this is our very first part two episode, and I have to take us back to our last episode. The The whole concept is we, we've called it baking ideas, you know, how to take uh, like an inspiration all the way through implementation and the steps that go along with that. And we got so into the conversation last time. We were like 45 minutes in, and uh, you went on like this diatribe about oh project management and inspiration. And I was so inspired that I had to stop the conversation because uh, <laughs> because you it was too much. It. It, we would have went another it. three hours. So we're going to do a part two, Jacob. Is that okay? I'm so excited about part two. I don't know if I'm as inspired about part two. So if you want to hear some inspiration, I suppose you need to listen to part one. Yes. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back to part one and you can get caught up here. Um, but l- let's start with maybe a recap. Because we really broke it down into three different areas last time. The first being uh, brainstorming, like what to do when you have an idea, how to capitalize on it. And then second, we talked about um, the art of persuasion, how to get stakeholders on board. And then where we jumped in and then didn't have enough time was on execution. So let's go back through those first two, the brainstorming and the persuasion real quick and just recap and maybe there's some new stuff that's popped into your head. And then let's spend the bulk of our time on execution. So 
let's go back to brainstorming. Recap kind of what our thoughts were there. Maybe anything new that's popped into your head there. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one big point, the one big takeaway on brainstorming is that uh, when we are inspired, take a moment and brainstorm about that topic because inspiration is fleeting. So capture your thoughts. And, you know, it's funny. You mentioned that I was on vacation, Casey. I had some inspired moments during vacation where I took the time to kind of flush out some ideas that I had. In fact, some of those ideas I've, I've put into motion and I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Um, and some of them, uh, some of the things that I worked on were, were more personal stuff. Uh, I think there was one like idea I had for uh, a professional uh, development thing that I'm going to do with my team. Um, but but I, the the point I want to the, the takeaway there, and I encourage our listeners to go back and listen to to part one is is capitalize on um, on the moment and capture capture those ideas. Um, I think the other uh, kind of point I'd like to make about brainstorming in general, and this this kind of feeds into the art of persuasion, is there are many times I don't know if you've had this happen to you, Casey, but there are many times when I have had what I felt like were brilliant ideas. But uh, and, and I tried to implement them. Unfortunately, those ideas kind of fell flat because they weren't in alignment with other goals, other things we were trying to get done as a team. And uh, one of the things that I've had to grow in and learn, learn a bit more about personally is when I do have ideas, uh, ensuring that uh, and maybe I've even brainstormed about them, taking those brainstorms and those ideas and ensuring that they're in alignment with what we're trying to do as a team and as a company. And and sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't. And the ones that aren't, I'll, I'll sit on. I'll put on, I think you'd indicated, Casey, that you've got an incubation list or an idea list. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put those on my idea list and, and save them for later. And oftentimes I'll, I'll come back to them and, and they'll be relevant in a new season or in a new year. Um, and, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, <laughs> this happens too, where I, I've got a, I've got a great brainstorm or a great idea, or I think it's a great brainstorm or a great idea. And then under, under just a little bit of scrutiny, like it's not a great idea and it's not, <laughs> not, not inspired. Uh, so, um, there, that there, there is that too. I, I guess my only point, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that, um, we, 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 we run the risk if we're, if we're constantly generating ideas and maybe bringing in those to our team, uh, there's this there's this thing that we can do called like <laughs> I would refer to it as like idea fatigue. And I've worked with people mm-hmm. that that are like this where they've got an idea a minute. And the challenge with that is is it's very difficult to operationalize an idea a minute. And uh, that's right. So and you'll burden your team out. I mean, yeah, that's right. Um, especially if your core gifts are around like kind of the vision part of the business, you'll drive your executors crazy with this. And I kind of have a rule that like we'll lock in what we're going to work on that quarter is a team and I can have all the new ideas I want. Like I can like dream in that space. That's kind of part of my gig um, or my job in, in what I love to do, but I can't expect everyone to run away from what we've already said as our priorities for the quarter. So that's where it'll go on my inspiration list. When we come to next quarter, I'll find like half of the ideas that I thought were genius. I'm like, eh, boring exactly like, or you know exactly. not great and so it is healthy to like make yourself wait a little bit on on big initiatives yeah it, and i think the point the point here is is bridle the ideas a little bit and and ensure that you know they're in alignment with what you're trying to do as as, as a team and um that's not to say you shouldn't stop generating ideas or or uh start stop brainstorming but it's 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 really 
really to ensure that, you know, like you said, Casey, you don't wear people out with just an idea a minute. And I got to tell you, I've worked for people who have an idea a minute and it is a little exhausting. It is. And like just having the team is like 80% of your bandwidth normally, like just leading the team and the stuff that's already happening. Like you basically, I feel like you get like one thing like that you get to go work on that's different than just keeping the lights on. So I think that's good. Like the whole idea of patience and, uh, you know, being measured and disciplined in, in how we do things. And I think it's okay to say like, Hey, I just want to like, can we just talk this out? I'm not asking that we're going to implement this, this quarter. I just want to have a discussion. In fact, I, I brought my team together last week, uh, in, in Salt Lake and we had an offsite and we had this like deep conversation about how we measure success and all this thing. And I, I said, I, I was so proud of myself because I even set the stage to say, you're going to leave this conversation unsatisfied, meaning we're going to talk about these big things and then we're not going to do a damn thing with them. We're just going to let them sit after we talk about them. And I, I I could clock on their faces when we were done. They were just like, seriously, this is how we're ending it. And I said, I said this at the very beginning. You were going to leave unsatisfied. But we've said the things we need to say now. Now we need to let them incubate a little bit and come back to them, you know, in a more structured way. That's brilliant. And I, I think that kind of leads to my next point. Uh, the, the only point I wanted to make, and, and if you want to uh, hear a little bit more about the art of persuasion, please listen to former episode, the previous episode. Um, one of the things that it sounds like you did, you know, with your team is, is you all kind of planted seeds with each other. And yep. uh, it's funny. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'll, I'll do that too. Like, I think I have a good idea. I'll plant a seed. Um, sometimes people will come back and say, Oh, that's the worst idea ever. And sometimes they can't tell me why, which is frustrating, but sometimes I'll plant these seeds in, in typically in one-on-one or e- even in group conversations and they'll come back to me and they'll be like, oh, I had this great idea. And I'm like, oh, that's the idea I shared with you like six months ago. Um, <laughs> no, that's a sign of success. Like to me, is like, <laughs> no, I don't even say that. I'm like, oh man, that's a brilliant that's idea. Let's yeah, do that. All the buy-in you don't have to do now, right? If exactly. they're coming to with your idea, like that's amazing. Yeah, I, 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 I had a boss once, and and I would say, oh man, I got this great idea. This is what it is, and we've talked to the team. We think we could do it. it and, and and they would just poo-poo all over it. Like, oh, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. This is terrible. And I kid you not, Casey. Sometimes, the very next day, they would come to me and say, Jacob, I have this really great idea. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I told you about yesterday. That's some Jedi <laughs> stuff is what that is. That is like, no, you have this. I, I'm waving my hand that no one can see like a Jedi uh, the Jedi mind trick like that is the next level leadership because, uh, you know, they're going to like hold so much closer to that if they like are the ones driving it versus you trying to get them on board. That that's some like art of persu- persuasion stuff. That's I don't know like, how to do it. Like, subliminal. I don't know how to I need to think about like I know I, it's, I've done it, but I don't know how to yeah. do it. I got to think about this a little bit more. Thanks yeah. for coaching me on that, Casey. <laughs> So, Jacob, what, what do you think you'll take from this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's in the I had one lady come up to me is like talking about what 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 we do, and it's like, yeah, you must be so proud of that. Like, how do how do you how do you move forward with that? Like, what's the next? And I'm like, don't coach me. I didn't give you permission to coach what's me. What's your next uh, action? So I'm, I'm a little I'm a little tender uh, on that. I think you have some Latin a Latin lesson you want to give us on in this area. Yeah. So there's this concept. I'm reading this book by Ryan holiday. It's called, um, uh, 
discipline is destiny. I'm in a little bit of a, a discipline kick in my in, in implementing some new rhythms and stuff. And uh, so I'm reading about disciplines and, and all that. And he kind of takes it from the an, an ancient or, or kind of stoic perspective. And uh, it, it's kind of a, a he takes a, a very large kind of survey of, of many thinkers and how they've implemented discipline in their lives and and the sort of fruit that it, that that that's born and one of the one of the the people he talks about in um in the book is the emperor octavian and he had this 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 he adopted this concept in in latin it's called festina lente which is um to uh which is really energy plus moderation with measured exertion eagerness with control so it's like it's haste it's it's being hasty but doing it slowly and uh, I, I think that when it comes to people like me who, who are kind of visionary and want to get a lot done and want to do a lot fast, um, it, it, it's, it's worth noting that we ought to, and I ought to kind of temper myself a little bit and, and think about, okay, well, what can I do now? What can I do that'll kind of inch me closer to these goals? Because I can't get everything done all at once, even though I'd really like to. And uh, and if I tried, I'd burn everybody out and frustrate everyone, as as we kind of already talked about. So the the, the Ryan Holiday kind of sums it up in, in this chapter in the book uh, by saying, it's okay to move slowly, provided that we never stop. And mm. uh, and and that's a that's an encouragement to me, um, because I, I I like to you know move fast and do everything fast and and if you read about Octavian uh, while he was methodical and, and some might even say slow he he did amazing things in in Rome and for the Roman Empire he built the aqueduct system and there's a litany of things that 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 happened under his um uh un, under his uh his reign and um so you know, I, I think about that. Like you know, it's kind of the whole tortoise and the hare thing. Um, you know, who won the race? Well, of course, the tortoise did. And why did they do it? Because they were they were consistent, methodical, um, and and you know, one could even argue that the the tortoise uh, exemplified haste because he actually got to the finish line. Mm. Yeah, and and the other benefit of this is you can have a life while you do it. Versus That's right. Constantly like having to to stress. So yeah. okay, being a cra- so that ca- was a chaos maker. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to get you a sign that says that above your desk, Chaos Maker. Chaos Maker. Uh, I love that. That's actually a good title. Uh, <laughs> other than like good chaos. Okay. That's Chief separate, Chaos Officer. Separate episode. Yeah, yeah. right. The CCO. CCO. Um, well, okay, so that was brainstorming. A lot of practical tips in the last episode. So if you missed that, go back and, and hear those, including even software you can use, ways you can, you know, uh, get prompted uh, about this. So then we moved to the art of persuasion, which we talked a lot about, you know, how to sell the vision of this, including uh, a great tip that you gave about like creating an elevator pitch for your project. And uh, I think I had even talked about how um, I had learned to create like a slide deck and a two pager that has like the basic message on command. I could state those everyone's reading from the playbook. Any Anything else like pop out to you since the last conversation about persuasion? Yeah, I think the, um, and then this kind of gets into executing a little bit, but I think it's, it's, it's absolutely critical to get everyone on the same page. And usually, at least in my experience, you've got to do that in a few different ways using a few different communication methods. Uh, so in-person meeting, follow-up emails or, you know, follow-up wiki pages or, or or that kind of thing and then and then asynchronous kind of follow up asynchronous communication I, and and yeah. as we kind of talked about last week there's a variety of of tools that you can use to um to uh to reach alignment 
uh, on a team. I, I think that's really critical. I think, uh, and then perhaps you've been on projects, Casey, where uh, you you get to a point in the project and everyone has kind of forgotten what we're trying to do. <laughs> Like, yeah. like it's like right. and someone asks someone's might even ask uh bless their heart what are we trying to do here and oh God, and sometimes I, I know right and sometimes as a leader you're like oh my gosh like why are There's you asking a- me that how do you not know <laughs> yeah there's this great article uh it's a really funny writer who wrote about like the 10 ways to appear smart in a meeting and one of them is like like asked to go back in the slide deck. Could you back a couple slides, like stand up in the middle of the meeting and walk around like a really funny article. But one of the things she says is like, make the statement, like, what are we really trying to do here? Like, so that tells me like you haven't been part of this. Maybe if you're new, like to the project, I'll allow that. I get that. Like, come on. Yeah. Well, and and, and I I don't know. I, maybe this has happened to you. It certainly happened to me where you're like midway through the meeting or been through the mid through midway through the project. You've had someone on the project since the very beginning, and they're asking you, I don't know, or, or sometimes it's a statement, like they just say, I don't know what we're trying to do here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, the, I, the, the point is, and I think this is really important, um, as leaders, not only do, do we need to do a good job of, of kicking off projects and working to ensure that people are aligned on what we're trying to do, but we need to reinforce that vision, that mission on a regular sort of consistent basis. And, uh, and, and what I like to do uh, for many projects is establish a communication protocol. And during, during, in, in software development, we typically do morning, like standups, uh, that, that kind of thing. And so that's part of our communication protocol. Okay. Good segue, good segue to execution then. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, I, I had some questions and, and thoughts, uh, on this too. So let, let's, let's move to execution. And, um, so let's talk about communication. Cause I think that is one area of the project that crosses over persuasion to, uh, working on communication. So, uh, how often do you meet as a project group when you do it? Like what are, what's your rhythms there? So I, uh, a couple, uh, I have a couple of thoughts on this. One thing that I've, I've done that has been fairly successful as I've asked the team, well, how often do you think we need to meet? And uh, the answer is usually never every day. Some teams meet every day. Uh, I don't find that particularly helpful myself. So I would say at least once a week, but depending on the project, you might want to meet two or three times a week. Depends on uh, how much you're doing and and kind of the timeline that you have. If you have a compressed timeline, meeting more frequently uh, for, even if it's just for 15 minutes, is going to help you as a leader and others make minor course adjustments and ensure that people don't get off track. Uh, because mm. th- there, there is that risk, right? If you don't meet for a long time, someone may have ran down a, 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 a trail or blazed a trail maybe that is in the wrong direction. So I think one of the key, one of the key benefits of meeting more regularly is that we as leaders and project managers and others can, can kind of do those minor course corrections. It gives us that opportunity to do that. And I, I find that comes up often like where I need to say, Oh no, 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 we don't want to do that. Let, let's think about this differently or, um, or have we considered this or, you know, that the, the, those sorts of questions, it gives us the opportunity to do, like I said, minor course corrections. Yeah. It's really an art because I, I've seen it both ways. I've seen where we create a stand up meeting which oh never daily I like once a week maybe, and um, then what'll happen is those will become stale 
and the re- there's really no reason to meet, but yet we meet and it just becomes like a waste of time. And then people stop coming to it because they schedule over it. And they've had the other part where it's like, let's just connect as needed. And what happens then is what you're talking about drift, right? And yep. you get together and you're like, are we all working on the same thing anymore? Like what is happening here? So it is a good idea to think of each project with a different communication rhythm and not, this is what like bugs me about like some systems like agile and, and, you know, different um, project management, like frameworks or methodologies is that often it allows people to turn off their brains um, and I mean that in like the kindest way possible in that it's like, no, we have to do it this way because this is part of agile. We have to do it this way because this is part of, you know, name your, you know, change management, name your whatever thing that you're, you're working on. It's like, no, where's the art of customizing for this individual project uh, here? So uh, I, I like that approach. I don't know that I'm super good at it. Yeah, I I think that you're absolutely right. People can get very dogmatic about their or the system that the team of suppose is decided on kind of implementing if it's agile or waterfall or mm-hmm. some ITIL thing. Um, yeah, you can get real dogmatic about it. And I, I have found that, uh, well, one, it's normally not helpful. And two, you, you need to tailor the communication plan and, and meeting cadence and all that to the project. Um, as we've kind of talked about and, uh, I try to invite other people into that decision. I think one other kind of point to be made, and this might be obvious, is that by having a regular kind of meeting cadence, maybe it is just once a week, it creates some accountability for 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 team members. Because I don't know about you, Casey, but if I know I need to give a status update, I might even need to give a demo uh, uh, once a week or you know, in, in sometime in the future. I am more apt to get that done, to get it done well. Whereas if things are just kind of loosey-goosey, I, I might procrastinate. I might not get it done. Um, I might get it done at the very last minute. I might not kind of hit the the project deliverables that we've set. Uh, so I think by meeting regularly, even though it can become a little bit of a uh, kind of a perfunctory thing, I guess, uh, it, it does it does have some inherent accountability, especially if those meetings are ran well. Yeah. And who runs those meetings for you? Is it the project manager? Is it the sponsor, the executive sponsor? Like um, it depends. Like, it, it depends on yeah. the project. Uh, oftentimes it is the project manager, but sometimes it's the product owner. Sometimes it's the executive sponsor. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it kind of depends on on the project. Most software projects, at least in kind of my world, are, are those meetings are ran by uh, the project manager. But we have other meetings uh, related to projects. So it's not just one, you know, we, we might have a, a handful of meetings, not every week, but related to projects where different individuals uh, roles uh, will run those meetings. So it depends yeah. on kind of depends on what we're, what we're trying to do for doing a demo. The product owner typically owns those meetings. Right. Right. But the core uh, project team, that's yeah. generally what the project managers yeah, typically for, yeah. to, to help coordinate or at least to pull you back to your founding document, which I, I think is a, a good direction for us to go. Cause last time we talked about, you know how to kick off a project. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of yeah, time lot there. Of time on that. Yep. Don't get overly freaked out by the numbers. You know all that kind of stuff. And then th- that's when you kind of get the buy-in. Like we're going to do this. Then from there, I think you call it an implementation plan. I call it a charter. Like I think there's lots of different language for this. But take me through like your best practices for creating that implementation plan or that charter, and I'll, I'll kind of share some from my perspective. Too. I'm going to back up just a little bit. One of the, yeah. one of the exercises, I'm going to answer your question, but 
just bear with me. Uh, one of the exercises that I invite teams to do uh, during the kickoff is to guesstimate how how long they think it is. And it's kind of an unfair exercise because typically at that point, we still haven't flushed out all the requirements. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns that we haven't quite uncovered yet. Um, but what I'm trying to get at is I'm trying to get a barometer of how long the team is feeling like this project is going to take. And I have found, I don't know, there might be some research on this. I should look into this. I found that if a, if a project, I, I think any project, but particularly software projects, if they take, if they, if the team thinks they're going to take longer than six months to complete or to get something out the door, we need to break it up. And I mm-hmm. think, um, I think that's really important to consider when thinking about your implementation, your charter, or your project plan, uh, is, is, you know, what's kind of the goal here? Like, when do we want to get something in front of a customer or released internally or, you know, whatever it is. And if it's, if it's going to be a long time and I would say longer than six months, we need to break it up. We need to kind of phase it out. We need to create a charger just for that first phase, a project plan just for that first phase. Um, and, and there's a number of reasons for that. One is, I think after six months, a lot of people forget what they're building. Like, and I'll forget too. <laughs> like, I'll, I might even know the mission memorized, but I'll forget. Um, the other, the other issue you run into, I don't know if you run into this, Casey, but I've run into it often, is that the the board changes. Meaning, not not the board, mm-hmm. like you know, company board, but maybe that too. But, but the the market <laughs> yeah. landscape has changed. The things right. we're, we're running after as a company has changed. Normally, six months is, I mean, that's a long time, right? Like things yeah. have changed, and um. And then the problem is, is that if you've got a long running project, that project's going to get bumped. It, it runs the risk of getting bumped the longer it goes on for some other yeah. new shiny thing that we want to do, right? And that's not a bad thing necessarily. Uh, but there's nothing more demoralizing to a team to do a bunch of work and then have it not see the light of day. So one of the ways to uh, guard against that is ensuring that the work that they do uh, can be completed in a, in a shorter period of time, like I said, less than six months, and and that'll give it the chance, the best chance, I believe, of seeing the light of day. So I think that that's really important. That's something that, that that's important to consider before you kind of go down the road of kicking or, or, or creating an implementation plan, assigning tasks, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Interesting. I I like. I don't. I don't want to challenge that. No, like, please. I, I like the the thought of it. Um, other than not all projects can be done in six months. So you're like, if it can't, it's actually two separate projects. Yep, we need to break it down. Umbrella. We need to break it down. Yeah, we have phase gotcha. one, okay. phase two, you know, phase three. Um, Cause here's the other benefit of breaking it down. The feedback that we get, particularly if it's a software project, but I think this is probably true of most projects that is kind of a product that we're releasing. Um, uh, it's really valuable if we can get something out sooner rather than later, the feedback that we'll get from that, from that, from getting it out sooner is going to really inform like future phases. Cause you also run the risk if, if things take too long of getting something out the door and then getting a truckload of feedback. Yeah. And, 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 and I think you probably experienced this Casey where you look at it and you're like, Hey, maybe it took a year and it's not what you wanted or it's not going to it doesn't have the feature set that you need or some critical thing is missing that that you thought it was going to have as as a as an end user so by mm. by getting work in front of uh stakeholders or end users sooner you give yourself the opportunity to get that feedback and to make course corrections gotcha i think my like uh worry with that approach 
is, you know, and I, I think in, in my world, they call that like, get the MVP, you get know, that MVP done, out. Yeah. Is that we never get past MVP. Oh, um, that's not good. That we don't have the discipline to say, okay, now it's step two. And we just live with the dumb thing that is not what we actually wanted in the first place for years. And maybe I, I need a little coaching here from my t- thousand people that are at this coaching conference. Like, uh, when I hear MVP, my eye starts twitching oh, I'm because sorry. I'm like, nope, you're going to get bored after the MVP. And then I work with the end users, right? Uh, cause I'm like, that's my function in, in my work in that you're not, you're not going to come back to this unless I drag you back to it. So you saying that I'm going to give you six months, I'm going to give you an MVP. What it tells me is like, that's my point to check out. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. It sounds like you might have some culture issues. Um, uh, one way to, I, I don't know, this might be just like rearranging chairs on the Titanic kind of thing. But one one thing I would, uh, uh, I guess, challenge you to consider is instead of calling it an MVP, call it a phase one. And within your project mm-hmm. plan, have phase two and three defined. That way, the project team isn't off the hook when the MVP is out. They're, they're, not, they're off the hook when phase three is out. But and, when you uh, write your implementation plan or you write your charter, are you writing all the phases into that I or am. are you just writing phase one we'll I come am. to phase two when we get there no i'm i'm typically i'll what what i'll what we'll typically do if it's a if we think it's gonna be a long-running project and it's gonna take more than six months to get the whole thing done and and, and quite frankly casey i'm working on some projects right now where that is the case where we've gotten the phase one out and we're working on the phase two and we'll be working on the phase three i want to talk to your end users and um, see if see if this is a casey problem or if this is universal uh <laughs> no i would say it, it is a universal problem um yeah. it, it does take some fortitude and and and, and you know on Trust at least on the technology and, side yeah. you know mm-hmm. uh to to ensure that um you can kind of close the loop on the whole story. Um, but I, I guess my point is, is what, what we would do is flush out that phase one really well, because we're working on that next. And then we would have, uh, we would have some kind of skin on the bones, if you will, for, for future phases, but we may not spend the time flushing those out completely, knowing mm-hmm. that they're likely to change after we get user feedback, after we get stuff in front of users and get stuff out the door. And and that's been true. Uh, in fact, we got uh, we have a three-phase project I'm working on right now. We got the first phase out uh, just, uh, just this week, and we have a very large customer. I can't say who it is, but a very large customer that we all know <laughs> that, that's currently using it in, in, in beta, and we've gotten some great feedback. Um, but we're working right now. We're actually working, you know, to code the phase two and, and we'll be working on phase three next quarter. But, um, but, but we didn't fully flush out phase two and three when we did phase one. Uh, we've, we flushed those out, um, when those, when those things were kind of going to kind of come up on our, in, in our roadmap because, uh, our learnings from phase one helped inform, uh, things that we were going to do in future phases. So that becomes part of your elevator pitch, right? Is you don't want me to build phase two and phase three yet, because if I do, I'm not going to get your feedback implemented into it. We actually have a project. We're doing the same thing where we released part of it, but we don't want to release the overall section because we need, we need to work on it once it's released. So yeah, I get that. Um, good debate though. I, I think good, like, no, and it's it, hard. It is interesting yeah. how you sell it, right? Like how you back to our building coalitions here is trusting each other enough that you are going to come back to it and that, um, that you trust that that feedback will be implemented and acted upon. Um, it, it does require a lot of trust. It, it requires some trust and it requires people to, to, um, 
be a little flexible too, right? Uh, we have, I will admit, Casey, we have gotten like, for, I, I, in my career, I've gotten the phase one or MVP uh, out the door, and, and there have been times where we haven't revisited it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and yeah, that, that at times can be very frustrating to end users or even internal users. Um, yeah. But if we were to ask them, I, I would argue, if we were to press people and say, well, is this, is this finishing the story or, you know, enhancing it or whatever it is, is it more important than these other five things we're working on? Oftentimes, nine times out of 10, the answer is, is, is no, it's not more important. Uh, I'd rather mm-hmm. you working on those other things. So I think that that's kind of a critical sort of conversation to have. Um, and, and it, and typically it, at least I, I think typically it comes down to, to resources and priorities. Right. And, uh, yeah, that that's that's it's that that's just tough. Like we're all resource yeah. constrained in some ways, and uh, and it you know then boils down to kind of managing expectations and managing priorities and managing our resources well and and getting people to agree that hey at least we might not all get our pet projects done or whatever they are, but we can at least agree on uh, on the priorities. So I don't know. That's probably not that helpful, but <laughs> zero helpful zero helpful i'm so sorry i'm so sorry (laughs) no i think i think it's a really good way to think about it um because i i think the hard part for me as someone who leads a mass group of end users so like 500 plus end users is like i hear that then you pivot based on new realities or new budgets or that I have spent X amount of capital getting people on board with the process that now it is not as easy for me to pivot with 500 people as it is for you to pivot with 12, right? On your team. And that becomes like uber frustrating as like, you've sold this vision. You've got your team to, you know, go and adopt. And maybe even uh, we have a saying around where we are like joyfully adopt and trust and believe they're not part of the conversation of the, you know, what you've prioritized, what you've deprioritized. They just feel the impact of it. And so then the people leaders yeah. have to come and like help mend those fences. Um, so it is a delicate dance because you're right. You it do is. have to go back to the drawing board and look at the priorities and budgets and and things change. You might implement it and be like, yeah, we actually didn't need this. Right. Like, but sometimes you really do for being wrong. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. One of the things I, I don't know if you do this, uh, but one way to uh, I found to um, kind of hedge a little bit against that from happening is including when you cast that vision, when you get your whole, you know, in case you get like 500 people. Right. When you get your whole team together and you cast this big vision about, hey, something new that we're doing, include the whole project team in that so that if you don't get it done, <laughs> uh they, they they know you know they're disappointing a whole lot of people, and uh, if, if they you know what I mean, like <laughs> oh when, God, when, I, when, I I, know, I, I'm I mean, gonna send pictures I, I, to them. I'm gonna send, I'm gonna get a frame like all 500 people's faces, like a, to go up their you, desk and watch them as they do, work. Like don't underestimate yeah, don't <laughs> underestimate the human element. Like if you can if you can that elicit is not where I thought you were going. Oh, I'm sorry, this. but <laughs> if you can elicit no, some it. sympathy from the yeah. technologists or you know other people that you're working with, maybe cross functionally. Uh, I thought you were gonna make me try to feel bad for them no, and, I, and no. you're like no no like, no, no. make them feel them bad for you people get impact yeah 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 <laughs> i love it that's great i'm not kidding like it, it really Tip does work day. i yeah. i'm a bleeding heart and if people i i mean i don't know here's uh, this is, i'm probably oversharing at this point but if if i can feel the end user's pain 
I'll, yeah. I can get really creative, Casey, about trying to address it. It may not be the perfect way. It may not be the best way, but I'll, I'll, I'll work to address it and I'll work to kind of, uh, be your advocate. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, again, that kind of goes back to your, your, your point on trust, but yeah, I, I, I would just encourage you to include as many technologists or, you know, whomever in, in these sort of meetings so that they can kind of feel your pain too. And, yeah, and, and, and here's the vision. Clear, it's not, it's not always technology sure, either, sure. right? It can be like a new focus or, you know, like uh, lots of different ways. But to, the technologists typically get the bad rap. I get it. <laughs> well, maybe you're earned. Hey, maybe you're not saying no. <laughs> you're not saying I'm wrong, Casey. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's good. I like when I like when we get we get a little uh, you know, let's push back on the, on oh, some of good. these ideas because I think that again is the other part of like if we can just op- be open and honest with each other, you know, as a project team and be like, "Here's my frustrations" without it meaning that I hate you, Jacob, right? It's like I can be frustrated with your team and we can go grab a beer after work and it'll be just fine, right? Like right. That's where I think sometimes like politics come in is we don't feel comfortable sharing how it's impacting our groups or the, the people, it doesn't feel like they're hearing how it's impacted or that they care, right? Like they have their objectives that they're trying to get to. So it does all come back to trust and team building and go listen to the first 24 episodes of leader fables. It's all about that. It's all stuff. about that. Yeah. We don't need yeah. to depend on it now, but yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Now you got to answer my question though. Since you didn't answer the question, typical, typical, Jacob, typical, uh, your best practices for creating that implementation plan or that charter for a project. Yeah. So one of the things that we do in in software projects, and I think it's probably relevant to other types of projects as well, is starting with the end in mind. And by that, I mean, particularly in software projects, but again, this could be for other things is design what the end user is going to get, what they're going to receive, like what, what that's going to look like. And then, and then take that and back into uh, what it's going to take to actually build it. Um, and, 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 you know, it, again, this doesn't just software projects. This could be a report. This could be um, a presentation. Um, start with, you know, kind of high level, like, yeah, this is what we want. This is how we want people to, to think about it. This is how we want people to use it. And then from there, it becomes very obvious what you need to do as a team. Uh, I think a lot of teams will start like with something else. Like they'll start it, like if it's software, they'll start at the, we call it the back end, or they'll start at the database. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the risk you run by doing that is you might get what the end users want, but it might not be the ideal sort of workflow. It might not be the ideal kind of look and feel. It might not even have all the right features. So one of the things that that I, I have worked to champion in many software teams uh, is starting with that end in mind. Like, what's that end product going to look like? What's it going to feel like? And this could be bullets. Um, I, I tend to like to do like back of the napkin, like low fidelity uh, mock-ups. So it doesn't even have to be like a big effort. It doesn't have to be like this pixel perfect thing that you produce. But but something that that is visual, that helps people kind of understand what you're trying to do. And and when you do that, it's a great alignment piece too because you can get everyone on. It's something you can take and go go talk about with other teams and and other people mm-hmm. that might be involved and get feedback. And then and then you know you'll refine that a bit. And then once the refinement is done and you think you've gotten pretty close to what the finished product might look like in a low fidelity way. Again, we're not going for perfection here. Uh, you can then take that and break it down into requirements. Like okay, now the yeah. steps of of what it, what it's going to take to build the thing. 
um, or, or get the thing done is going to become very obvious and, 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 uh, it, it makes that kind of process go a lot, a lot faster. Yeah. It, I think that's so dangerous to like uh, how I think of it as like, you can't move to the what until you've clearly defined the why, uh, that you're do that problem that you're, you're solving. And, um, this is to me where I, I screw this up all the time. Like I already have the solution in my head of what we're going to do and I've half designed that. And then when I bring in a project team, they're like, you know, back to the question that we all hate, like, wait, why are we doing this? Like, because we didn't spend enough time on the, what we're actually trying to solve and then not come in with, I know how to solve it, uh, versus, okay, it's time to listen and get all the ideas on the table. So yeah, I think that is a great, yeah, start with really the, great step. Yeah. You know, we start with the why and then we kind of define what the what is. And that's that that's kind of the next yep. piece, right? This whole sort of low fidelity mock-up bit. And yeah. uh, and I and again it, it helps really align people. And I found that by doing those two things, once you get in the kind of execution mode, it it goes a lot better. Like people kind of know what we're aiming at. They know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh there's a lot less there's a fewer questions. There's fewer there there's there's uh, less confusion. There's still confusion, but there's less confusion, and uh, it really gives the the project team the best. I I believe the best chance for success. Yeah, yeah, and I'll add I'll add a couple other things that I I always want to see into uh, a charter or project plan, whatever you want to call it, is really a clear definition of what success is. And to me, this is like where the metrics come in, and the the clear like timelines, things like that, is like the non-subjective I'm all about subjectivity and and I think it I I don't struggle to have subjectivity because I think that's part of why we have humans working on problems and not just machines um but really understanding the clear definition of success what the scope of the project is what are the risks like I think we we run past the risks so fast of every every project and and risk in like what's the end risk which isn't like a system failure is not at risk. The risk is like customer dissatisfaction or for us, like students withdraw because this created something that, you know, now it's so, and then the typical stuff like the milestones. Um, and, and one thing that I, this is like a new, newer learning for me that seems so simple, but I think is a game changer is documenting your assumptions, um, Mm. that you're making like, okay, we, we talked about the why, here's the how, what are the assumptions that you're making? Because those are so easily forgotten once you start. Like, why did we decide to do this? And and in the moment, you're like, that's stupid. We're going to all remember this, like, conversation. And like a week later, you're like, what are we, what, why, why did we decide that? Oh, our assumption was that this system would talk to this system Thus, this would work, right? Like, yeah, because that's that's my favorite question when a project is going bad. What assumptions? What are the initial assumptions you made that were wrong that got you here in, in this place? So, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I by looking at the assumptions that you're making, it can also help you very very. Uh, in fact, that's brilliant because it can help you better flush out requirements. And if mm-hmm. I'm making an assumption. Sometimes those assumptions aren't right, or we need to go validate the assumption, and that gives yep. us the opportunity to do that. And 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 I think the counterpart to the assumption is a change log that you're documenting every time you decide something different because your project is never going to end up what it started at, no. right? You're gonna you're gonna have to make you're gonna have to pivot as you go, and and I think sometimes it's dangerous to 
lock in dates and stuff like that too harshly in a, in a project because it's all subject to change. But if you can, um, if, if you can have a really good change log, it's really nice to go back and, and then you can even say why you had to make the change. Like it's a really simple project manager thing that they can do, um, that will save you hours of digging through emails and Slack messages and, you know, once you're trying to report out on yep. uh, the progress or anything like that. And then I said one more, which was a change management plan. And I think this so gets missed in projects. And again, the guy working with the end user, right? Like what is the plan to uh, captivate the audience? What is the plan to roll this out? What is the plan to get feedback? What is the plan for redesign? You know, all of those things uh, I think are really important. No, it's super important. It's something to consider too. And in fact, I I worked on a project recently where we didn't quite consider the go-to-market plan as well as we should have. And it, it, it created some issues. And uh, so I think that's, that's really critical. And it's, it's probably important to do that as part of the project uh, conception, like when you kick it off and, you know, think about, okay, well, how are we going to roll this out and what, what effect that's going to have on, on end users and, and all that. Yep. that that's brilliant. Okay. So let's, let's, let's recap. We talked about brainstorming. We talked about how to build coalitions. We talked about how to create the, the kickoff and then the project plan. Okay, Jacob, I followed all of your steps, man. And it was, I, I letter for letter, I, I did what you said and the project is not working. The project has gone to hell. What do I do when the thing falls apart as a leader? And just to be clear, it's not if, it's it's when. It's <laughs> that when. is a really good question. It's not if, it's when, yeah. and it will. It's how often. Yeah. <laughs> and not that it's just one time either, right? Like It, it will. And, and we talked yeah. about this a little bit. Like Just reminding people what we're trying to do can, can help kind of realign uh, yeah. uh, expectations. I tend to repeat myself. I, I tend to, I, I find that I'm repeating myself a lot and it's because I'm reemphasizing to teams, to stakeholders, why we're here, what we're trying to do. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, sometimes I forget, I gotta look it up. Uh, I, I think that, that that's really important and that can help kind of curtail this sort of like, ah, what, what's going on? Everything's broken. This isn't working. You know, that, that sort of thing, uh, re- realign people. Um, I think that, Sometimes too, we learn a new thing, right? Like the plan goes to to hell because we learn something new and we've got to re refactor the plan. Maybe the scope's yep. changed, or we've had to add something that we totally forgot about. This happens, or or we missed. We maybe we didn't forget it, but we totally missed it. And uh, and in that case, you know, it I I would say regroup, refactor the plan work to get everyone on the same page. You might want to use some of the the tools that we've already talked about, like maybe refactor the the, the elevator pitch. Um, maybe you re, re, reconsider risks. Maybe you reconsider your assumptions. And, uh, and and then, you know, by doing that, it it hopefully will kind of restart. <laughs> it, it, it's a little bit like, you know, putting the, the, the you know, the, the paddles on someone's chat. You're restarting the project, right? <laughs> the defibrillator. Uh, the defibrillator. You're yeah, right. You're just jogging it back to life because you've, you've, you've reconsidered and refactored and, and, yeah. and all that. Um, that, that, that's something that I, I've done, uh, many times. And, uh, and, and, yeah. you know, in, in some cases it's, it's worked quite well. I think this is too, again, why you don't build the charter or the execution plan too firm. Mm hmm. Because it's like a building, right? Like it has to, a building in an earthquake, right? It has to be able to bend and flex or the thing will break. And I I feel like um, this is like tail wagging the dog syndrome, you know, is that we become about the charter 
more than the actual project itself. It's like, yes, I know that it said we were going to launch this on this date, but it is not ready to launch. And thus we have to change the charter. Like I I can't tell you how many projects I've been in. And even though the thing is going to be terrible, the project team doesn't care. We are going to launch it because today is the date that we're going to launch it. And that is where, uh, that's the danger of the charter to me or the project is that it usurps common sense, uh, of, of what we need to do. And the real, product that we want is quality the real thing is not like we want to check all these boxes that is not success success is did that we actually get to our why and if that took an extra week if that took an extra quarter okay right let's document that let's let's go back and examine what assumptions were wrong in the beginning but you have to be able to ebb and flow with it yeah and i think that there's a caution there right like be careful about setting due dates um I, I, I tend to like set quarters as due dates and because of that, it gives me a great deal of flexibility. And, uh, and, and oftentimes I'm able to, to meet the meet, meet expectations because the, the due date was a quarter. It was three months to get the thing released. And, uh, and sometimes it'll go, it'll bleed into the first, you know, couple of weeks of the next quarter. But uh, yeah, I think there's a caution there to be very careful about due dates Um, because there are there in any project, there are going to be factors outside of your control. You're going to be relying yeah. on people that are on other teams that may have competing priorities that may not get to your work in time and may put your project plan at risk. And uh, mm-hmm. and, and I've, I've been on many projects where that's kind of where the project went to hell is when we were relying on a third party to deliver something and they didn't deliver it on time. Oh, that's or, a separate you know, podcast. Kind of thing, right. Oh, right. I know. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, there, there's a lot of I mean, there's there's some things you can do to kind of mitigate that. But it, it's always a risk. Right. And uh, and it could be an internal, you know, kind of vendor that you're working with. It could be someone that you're paying. Um, but that that's something to be very cognizant of. And and it can it you know, like I said, it can disrupt. It can really disrupt a project and disrupt the timeline. Yeah. And uh, when you do, I would that, give a tip on reporting yeah, out go ahead. on projects too. Like give the whole report out. Like when when you're doing, like I think there's this inclination. At least I had early in my leadership to always pretend like everything was perfect, even when it wasn't. And in fact, now I like when I'm someone's reporting out to me on a project and there's nothing that like everything like I, I get really suspicious and then I start asking lots of probing questions. I would almost lead with what has it, you know, kind of here's the here's the challenges that we've run into. And if everything went exactly according to your plan and you're always green in progress, you know, versus falling into yellow or red, you know, if you're classifying it, you're the project might not have been worth doing if it was that easy, right? It might not actually be a project. It might just be operational efficiency or something like that. Yeah. Um, but share the whole truth, right, of what's happening with it. People will respect you more. Absolutely. And I think I, that's something I had to learn too, Casey, is I yeah. learned that people actually, it builds trust and people respect me more when I give them, it can still be varnished a little bit, but when I give them the truth, when I, when I yeah. say, yep, this is at risk, let me tell you why. And and I'll I'll say hey there's this thing we didn't anticipate or there's this thing we're waiting on or we had this other priority come up that kind of disrupted this we're still making progress on it though you know that 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 sort of thing they'll uh, and and if you the earlier in the project you do it the the better off you are uh, you don't want to wait to share bad news when you're at at, at deadline day like that's yeah. the worst time <laughs> share to early. share bad yeah. news and and yeah. I've done it and regretted it and other people have yeah. done it to me and they've regretted it yeah. Yeah, I think there's this old like kind of feeling of like if you have a 
like as a manager, if you have a problem, don't bring me a problem without a solution. That is terrible. That is so terrible in that it's like hide problems from me until you figure them out, which is so, man, you are setting yourself up for a a, a bad thing. I've seen that a lot in my career, too, is like, no, bring the problem early and let me help. You know, people want to That's why you're there. Right. To help. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like this old institutional thing that I, I felt. I, I have some other thoughts here, too, about when a project starts to break down. One is like, make sure you know why it's breaking down. Is it the project or is it the adherence to the project? Mm. I found this in multiple things that we've done where it's like, oh, this is not getting the desired effect. And when we dig into it, it's like, yeah, because no one's doing it. Like, you know, maybe it's like, uh, the project is a process change. And then we go look in and this is the magic of what I call adherence rates, like trying to figure out if we're asking someone to do something different, what percentage of time is it actually happening? Because if it's happening at a high level and you're not getting the outcomes you want, your problem is your strategy. But if it's your adherence rates are low and you're not getting it, it's because you haven't sold the vision. You haven't given them what they needed to go do it. And if your adherence rates are low, it's not their problem. It's not the end user problem. It's your problem mm-hmm. that you haven't like either captivated them or the process is too cumbersome or it's it's just not working. So I, I say always be careful to know what's really happening. Is it the project? Is it the outcome or is it adherence? And try to find an adherence rate. That's my favorite thing in the world. Leading a large group of, of thing is like, give me adherence rate by team. And then I can go and spotlight where I can go do some follow-up coaching or training, you know, that will help get you there. Yeah. We have a thing in software projects where, you know, if a task doesn't, we, we, we do these two week planning uh, sprints is what we call them or iterations. And we commit to doing some, some amount of work in, in, in a two week kind of period of time. And uh, sometimes uh, work that was committed to in that sprint carries over into the next one, goes goes into the next iteration. And one of the things I'm interested in learning is why. Why did that carry over? Mm-hmm. What didn't we anticipate? And it's kind of to your point, Casey. It's it's a little bit of an adherence rate. Like why did we? Yep. Why did we? Uh, why why weren't we able to complete what we committed to? And that's something that I'm I'm very keen to to learn. And and sometimes it's not even the person or the the team. It's it's some external factor that that. I wasn't aware of. And, um, and then it gives me the opportunity if I want to, to do something about it. And I, I think that's really important. It can be very insightful. It can then help you, you know, when you're tracking some metrics, it can help you ask good questions and, and kind of better understand or get to the root of a, of a potential problem. Yeah. Or it might be like Jane was sick. Yeah. Right. Could be that. And, oh, or okay, someone went cool. on PTO. That's not a problem with the project. Right. That's like a circumstance. Right? Or, or the, we the, didn't the anticipate hit. something, right? Like right, someone was exactly. taking a, a one week vacation and we loaded them up. Like, yeah. Well, let me present the opposite side of this, that the other side of, again, like checklist leadership of like, I'm going to do this no matter what and not use common sense or my brain. There are times when you need to take a project and shoot it and yes. and say, we had a project like this that we did that was changed the way we supported students in their first term. Um, we were so excited about it. It was going to be revolutionary. It was like a a year project we had mapped out. We got three months in and everyone hated it. The students hated it. The mentors hated it. And we were just like, you know what? This is the wrong thing. Uh, And we we killed it publicly, like went to the group and we're like, here's what we thought. Here's our assumptions. They were wrong. We're going to stop today. And I have never gotten more 
positive feedback on my leadership in a project than when we vulnerably went to that group and was like, you're right, this isn't working. It was an idea. It was a bad idea. Um, we're going to end it and we're going to end it ahead of schedule. <gasps> what? what? You can't end it ahead of the end date. Yes, you can. If early indicators are that this is bad, you should end it quickly. So I, uh, I, I took a new assignment, uh, this is a few years ago and I came in, there was a bunch of projects going on. They were all underwater, Casey. They were not, not going well. <laughs> um, and the mandate was, well, get the teams, you know, working efficiently, getting, get them productive. Um, so I think we had five projects going on. How many, do you want to guess Casey? How many did I kill? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm thinking by the way, you're setting this up that you killed. 90 percent of the i killed all five. i killed all five oh all five all five of them <laughs> and uh, and i thought for sure i'm like well this is you know this is it like <laughs> came in and unfortunately i was only like oh, right i know i had a resignation letter ready to go i'm like this is gonna be it and it's funny that you mentioned that like i i, I think i built a lot of trust with a lot of people yep. by helping them understand why we needed to kill the project some of them were too risky some of them uh just weren't the right things um some of them weren't going to work, uh, and uh, and and by killing them, and and we we ended up redoing them. Some of these projects still you know lived on, and 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 we kind of reset and did some of these reset steps that we've talked about, and kind of got them back back up and going. But in their current states, we 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 couldn't release them. We couldn't we we couldn't get them out the door for a variety of reasons. And uh, and yeah, by doing that, by killing it, it I I'm like. I got all kinds of kudos. It was it was about the strangest thing ever. It was I was not expecting it. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's important to know that like human bias is additive. Like it, mm-hmm. we're more biased to add something than we are to subtract something from from our work and in, in our right. leadership. Um, I actually, it's funny because there was a keynote today in uh, the conference I'm at, and the keynote speaker was dynamite. I'll try to see if I can find a, a link, Jacob. You can put it in the show notes. That'd be great. Um, but she took me, she took the group through Amazon's success. Right. And you think of like Amazon as just being this crazy successful company. And then she went through the amount of things they started and killed. And it is crazy. Like, I I mean, so many things. And one, one thing that she said is like, even in your things that you're like, you missed on, there are these cool learnings that you have. And she highlighted the Amazon phone. What was the Amazon phone called? Uh, The fire. Amazon the fire. fire. Yeah. Fire and it phone? was terrible, right? Yeah, it was terrible. It, yeah. It didn't go away, but you know what came out of it? Alexa came out of it. That's right. Um, they're like, you know, what's cool about this phone is this virtual assistant that they put into it. And it became a whole pro- very successful product line and, and, and all of that. But Amazon is like so focused on killing stuff that doesn't work and killing it quickly. Um, and she had like 15 examples of stuff they started and, and then killed and, they're just they're they call it zombie hunting. They're just like relentless about if it's not working, we need we need to move on. So I, like that. I, I zombie think hunting. I, I think I'm, I'm inspired to go zombie hunting in my work and look for those things that we're still trying that aren't working that we need to stop. And what can we learn from it? Right. And how can we go forward? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just because something's worked in the past also doesn't mean that it's going to work, you know, now or, or it's working now or working in the future. And um, yep. yeah, it's, it's easy to become, I, I don't know. It's, uh, this is kind of a little off topic, but it's easy to become complacent and it's, it's, it's good yeah. to kind of take a fresh eye. And like you said, go zombie hunting. There's this great, uh, Disney movie called meet the Robinsons. I think I've talked about on the podcast before. It's always stuck with me. It's uh, the, the lead character is an inventor and every time they fail, they throw this giant party, 
when something doesn't work. And so they're like, woohoo, you know, attempt 55 and they're throwing a party. And then when they succeed, they're like, okay, cool. Next. You know, I think it's like such a good way to think about project work and implementing is like, you're going to have a lot of things that don't work. And in fact, you're probably going to be like 80, 20, 80% is not going to work. 20% is going to work and becomes our fundamentals uh, of what we do. So I would say on behalf of both of us, I think you would agree with this. This isn't about like, don't take risks. Don't, don't adventure into new spaces. It's like, if it's not working, you need to be honest, even if you really like it. That's the hard part for me is like, if it was something that I really believed in yet, it doesn't work getting over my own ego to be able to kill it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's hard. I've killed a lot of my own ideas. I hate it. Yeah. Cause they're kind of like my children. Yeah. If they're not working, don't kill they're your not children. Working. You only have no, one. Don't kill your children. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I, I have, I, 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 you know, I have good, I have good feelings about them, and yeah, because they were my things. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. But look for what you can learn from yeah. from them as you go. And there, there's usually, I can't how many projects we started one way and we actually figured something else out, and it became a huge, uh, huge win, you know, for us. And that should be like celebrated more than anything is that we are learning and we're looking, we're looking to be surprised. We're looking to be inspired by this stuff and it may not be what we intended to. So again, don't let the charter become the purpose of the project, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure that the project is the project or the end is the project. That pragmatism rule the day. Yeah. Oh, that's a great, that's a great (laughs) closing here. So Jacob, I have gotten a ton out of uh, this time today. I I really like the debate on uh, MVP. I think it was a little uh, cathartic for me uh, here. So I want, I want to thank you. Uh, Anything in like wrapping up that you want to end with in this space? No, I I think the only other point I'd make is getting started is more important to getting the perfect charter. Like, Getting, getting, getting the team rolling and getting, getting things going. Cause there is a, uh, there is a tendency and I, I, I have this paper, maybe you do too, Casey, where you want to get the requirements perfect and you want to get everything just right. And you can live there like that and, and nothing. And by the way, perfect requirements are not things that users can use. Um, sometimes just getting started is, is, is the most important part. And that's not to say we shouldn't think about how things ought to be. Yeah, what what the requirements ought to be or how things ought to work but um you that you my, my i guess my caution is is get it get get started make a plan to get started um and uh and and time box as best as you can those kind of earlier activities that we talked about so that's my close but not more than not more than six months well the whole not project shouldn't than- <laughs> take more than six months yeah that, if you're gathering requirements over six months um i mean i don't know uh yeah. i feel very bad for you that's a lot that's a that's lot, a lot yeah. that's a lot <laughs> Well, this is a great conversation. Thank you for tuning in to Leader Fables. I'll add another plug. Um, if you're like, I don't have a project that I'm working in like this, but you are thinking of like your own personal life or, you know, just your rhythms and how you work, go back to the altitude of planning episodes that we did uh, a while back. We'll link those up in the show notes because I think that this stuff connects to that stuff as well. It doesn't always have to be a formal project. It could just be an area of your life that you want to improve. So Uh, And in closing, we'd love for you to leave us a review uh, on whatever podcast uh, app you're listening to, positive, negative, uh, whatever. You can weigh in on this debate uh, about the time frame and and minimal viable products uh, if you want. We also on our website at leaderfables.com have a list of things that we love um, that are affiliate links for us and help support the show. So if you could take a minute, go over there. Uh, Jacob, thank you for this conversation. I, I thought it was really fun. 
and we will see you next time. And until then, lead on. Lead on. Thank you.